0: Hello, welcome. You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a bite-sized parenting podcast, a place you can find advice, understanding and support as you care for your small humans. I'm Siobhan Hunt. Being a parent forces you to confront many uncomfortable truths. You will have to get up through the night, potentially for the next 10 years. It is now your job to wipe another human's bottom Four, two four years, depending on your luck, and you will be having some challenging conversations. You will need to find the words to talk about sex, safety on the internet, emotions, mental health, and death. If you still have a baby, you may be thinking, surely that comes much, much later. But in my experience anyway, it can happen sooner than you think. Kerry Noonan is a clinical psychologist and the director of the Groundswell Project, they're a group trying to change the way we talk about death and dying. Hi, Kerry. How are you? Hello.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: It's a pleasure. Um, What age do we need to start talking to kids about death?
1: Well, I would say don't think about it like um, what age. It's part of our family life. It's part, make it part of what we do. We make it part of the culture of your family. So when loss and grief comes up, we talk about it. You know, kids are watching The Lion King really early. Um, we don't go, "Oh, I can't put The Lion King on because they might ask me about death. I think the key advice is not to think about at what age are kids ready, but to make it part of your family culture and to make it part of your family values that we talk about everything. And you don't avoid it. I think one of the things I have
0: noticed amongst my peers and other parents that is using The Lion King as an example is... Um, I think some parents do avoid that movie because they don't want to have to explain why he dies and what happens after death and they're worried that it will scare children. Mm. What's your response to parents who say, but I don't want to
1: scare them? Yeah, look, so I th- so two things go through my mind. One is thinking about the innate curiosity of kids. We don't shy away from other conversations um when kids are curious because we see it as oh this is developmentally appropriate this is kind of cool my kids at that age now to to talk about safety to talk about um morals or other ethical issues so i think roll with the cur- you know it's about rolling with the curiosity that children bring to a movie, um, a a situation or a response. And then the second point is if we're worried that kids are going to be afraid, the best way to deal with those fears is actually to be a parent, be there for them. So I think we want our kids to come to us when they're fearful. So by actually making it part of our family conversations, we're actually able to be parents um, in those situations. I know um,
0: of another fear, for parents and mm-hmm. I have seen it happen even with my own son and that is they become slightly obsessed with yep. death <laughs> yes. so I'm not quite sure how it came about so I have two children my eldest who's six and a half her nonno passed away when she was about three yep. and so that conversation was part of, has been part of her experience my son was only six months old mm-hmm. And so while we've talked about his name was George and while we talk about George all the time and he's part of our family life and they know he's dead, um, my son got to probably, I think he was about three at the time, three or four, where he just kept asking about death. But questions I found really hard to answer, like... Mm. What happens when we die? Mm. I was like, "Don't give me an existential crisis! <laughs> it's only eight o'clock in the morning." Um, do you see what I mean? Yeah, like they, totally. They can ask when they, and it just was a question yeah. he
1: asked all the time. Uh, but he did he do that with other things too? No, <laughs> just so yet. he didn't have an obsession with, I don't know, um, cars, cars or trains. Not the or... same
0: way. It was. I think okay. part of
1: me feels like it
0: was because I wasn't answering him, okay, to his satisfaction,
1: okay. And, but you know, I, I think the same happens for us as adults um, as well. But when you're three, you're starting to develop more concrete thinking. So, and you're you're trying to develop that kind of, you know, you're trying to develop your thinking. And you're trying to understand things. So it makes sense that your daughter was really curious, and then he's kind of catching up, right? So he probably didn't get to go to the funeral or be around all the grief or be around all of the – or have memories of the grief and the rituals. Whereas your daughter might be able to, even though she's very little, still draw on those memories a little. So it's less abstract for her. So It's interesting you say that about the funeral.
0: I'd love to pick up on that because I remember when my great aunt passed away, I must have been about seven, none of us kids went to the funeral. That's
1: not how we look at it now, is it? No, not re- No, we don't. Although I would say it's still a very common thing to say, oh, well, I traumatise my children or is it okay to take the kids? And I think the rule of thumb is yes. Again, it's part of your family culture and part of your family values to include your children in most things. So I would include them um what happens if you don't like how
0: how can it affect them because well, you think you worry about what will happen if you do bring them yes. but what happens if
1: you don't well you still remember your great aunt yeah I do yeah.
0: and I remember feeling very <laughs> Exc- strange about what happened
1: yeah and felt a bit excluded and like what are all the adults doing how come I can't do that is it so weird or is it so special or is it you know what kids do is they fill in the gaps if they can't make sense of it or if an adult, and this goes back to that conversation stuff again, if, if you don't give kids a really concrete response um, and, and you don't respond again and again and again at their level, um, then they fill in the gaps themselves. So that could be everything from I must have done something really bad or that ritual, that funeral stuff must be really weird. Mm. Um, they'll just fill it in. And so that's where, you know, being, even if you, I mean, I would encourage most people to take their kids to funerals and there's lots of ways you can make funerals child-friendly and it takes a bit of prep to think about that as well. Um, if you're going to do that, then um, then it gives you an opportunity to kind of talk a- again about death and to draw on um, an experience, a real experience, even if kids are young, in the future. Um, You know, when they're 10, 12, 14, however old, they'll be able to draw on that. But what it also, if you choose not to take your kids, then you at least need to tell them about it. You need to at least give them some explanation about why you think they can't go. It might have to do with some sensitivity about culture, or it might have to do with the older people of the community or the family, whoever, who think it's just really not okay for kids to be part of a a ritual like that. So then um, you at least get to explain to the kids, so they're not kind of wondering, well, what was this weird thing that no one's talking about or not telling me about? I think one of my
0: hesitations would be, and it's interesting you say about the kids, because my daughter didn't go because okay. she's in another state, but my son was only six months old and he was basically handed around to everyone who was there yeah. while I howled <laughs> from yeah. start to finish. Yeah. How do you make that kind of environment child-friendly? Because I admit, thinking back to what it was like, I guess the reason I wouldn't want my daughter to be there is that we were all very somber.
1: And, yeah. and mummy
0: did not stop crying.
1: Yeah.
0: And I'd be, that would be what I'd be concerned about. So how do you make a place that feels very solemn, mm.
1: serious? So I guess I would challenge that and say, what's wrong with a, a child being exposed to solemn? Because it's bloody sad. Yep. And that's okay. And, and actually, you know, life's not about just happy, even when you're a kid, So one of the ways to kind of do that is to support, um, have a support person who is there, um, who just supports your children. That's all they do. They may or may not have a connection to the person who's died, but they know the parameters. They have some toys. They might even sit on the floor. The celebrant or priest or whoever needs to be um, on the ball with understanding that there are children who are part of this ceremony and it's okay if they make noises and it's okay if they do this. And then um, and then that way, um, you know, y- you can all kind of relax a little as well um, and you can all do what you need to do. And, and there is no doubt in my mind, uh, there is no doubt from what you've said that your daughter probably thought... Bloody hell. She probably didn't say bloody hell. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you never know, Gary. You never know.
1: <laughs> Gee, mum's sad. Oh, yeah. Mum is so sad. Yeah. Well, mum is so sad. And so, so what you're doing uh, potentially is giving her um, a memory of what sad is and that that's what we do. That's what we do. It's at tangible as well. It's not it's just tangible. looking at your
0: parent and worrying yeah. that they're sad if you can see it's connected to something. And that
1: tangibility is the stuff that you need for six and unders. Tangible, tangible, tangible. So when you talk about death, you um, talk about the physical first, the tangible. That's why seeing a dead person can be really important for us as adults but also as children you think about we, we you know let's just think about the first death which is often a pet most of us we we've done some surveying work and it's quite a significant percentage of people have experienced their first death under the age of 16 and like a relationship death but often our first death is a pet and and again as parents we kind of go oh quick get another guinea pig or quick get another goldfish but actually, that's an opportunity for kids to see dead, to hold dead in their hand. And I know that I, I can really understand if anyone is listening to this going, oh, that is too full on. That is not, well, that is like, whoa, out of, that is out of the world crazy. I totally understand that. Um, but it's actually so important. There is something tangibly, emotionally spiritually different about touching something that you loved that you once interacted with and it doesn't interact back. There are masses of lessons in that. So when a person dies sometime later you're able to actually draw on that experience. Do you remember when? Do you remember that it's going to be the same here? You know your grandma's heart doesn't beat anymore just like Toby's heart it didn't beat any more either. Remember, remember he was he was soft and he was cold and and um he wouldn't play anymore. He was dead. Remember that? So so those early experiences are so incredibly important. And what I get from that as well when you say that,
0: you kinda of have to let your kids heartbreak, don't you? Oh I know. You, it's you, so but hard. that's what you were saying before about sadness and, and solemnity at a funeral. That it, life parts of life are sad and they are solemn. And if we, I'm just thinking myself, I would want to protect my children from that. But in protecting yeah. them, you're potentially making the fall harder later on.
1: And you can't protect them. No, you can't. I'm sorry, I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. it's all right. I've had six and a half <laughs> years I, to get used well, to this idea. Well, can tell you a story about my children? Last year, my daughter's dog. Died it was absolutely heartbreaking. We have had over the past um, five years two of our dogs die, um, and one of those dogs, my daughter has had known her whole life, as long as she'd been alive. This dog was um, with her, um, and Minnie was always there. And Minnie died very suddenly, and then another dog died, and then the guinea pigs died, and we have these all these deaths. When Toby died, her dog, um, last year, I saw something that, that even as a grief counsellor, as a psychologist who's worked in this space for like many years, I could, I, I, um, I kept reflecting on watching them as I, as I was watching them do their grief. And they did a few things. They firstly, because they'd been through it a few times, they knew what they wanted to do. They said to me, Mum, where are we going to bury him? And um, then they said, let's get a cloth. Let's wrap him. Um, okay, which cloth? Where? What? What do you want? They knew what. They knew what to do. I said, and, and what are you going to do? And they said, we're going to get flowers, of course, again. So they went around the garden and picked all the flowers. My husband happened to be not at home at the time. We had to get our, a gardener person in to dig a hole <laughs> in our front yard, and we did that. But at the time, they were 10 and 15. They invited their friends to come to his funeral. They developed a memorial um, poster for him. They loved him, loved him, loved him as much as they possibly could until the moment that they picked up the shovel and they covered him in soil. It was an incredible moment as a parent. Um, I still feel very emotional about it when I think about it. But what if I zoom back from that, what I see is two children who had done death in the past or, or, and in some ways what we call death literacy at Groundswell. They developed their death literacy by going through it. And unfortunately, there's no other way except for actually doing it. But they led the process this time. I was literally just there supporting them. They knew exactly what they wanted to do, how they wanted to do it, and we even they even organised a wake down at the local cafe. <laughs> <laughs> and they shared stories about him. Oh, and really. you know what? He's still part of our life, mm. and we openly share about him. And we will we will cry. In an instant, about how much we love him and miss him and wish that he was still here.
0: Yeah, what a beautiful story. Okay, I'll, I'll keep that in mind next time I'm going. Yeah, it's hard. Well, we don't have it's so hard. We don't have any pets. So so far, I'm okay. <laughs>
1: I'm, I'm not saying it's easy. It no. really, like it's, and I I can understand parents listening to a story like that and going, oh, that's just kind of, again that that's a little strange. That's out of my depth. That's. That's not what I know death to be. And you've got to do death your own way. You know your kids best. I know my kids, and um, and this time around all I had to do was just be um, a support to them. But that's the end of a long process with them through lots of different little deaths that they've experienced. Um, so you've got to trust your instinct as a parent as well, but not shy away or avoid
0: Feed, play, love. We'll be back with Kerry Noonan right after this. The Parent Panel is now 100% podcast, so you can listen to your favourite parents and laugh along anytime, anywhere. My two daughters have looked at me and said, there are sharks everywhere. I went, oh, they're reef sharks, darlings. They're vegans. <laughs> I am guilty of handing over an iPad and saying, hey, watch this. Holy moly,
1: it is so
0: hard. Search for the parent panel on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so I just mentioned how Arlo, my son, um, became a little bit obsessed with death. One of the questions he – there were a couple of questions he asked that I found difficult to answer. Um, of course, there's the ex- existential ones about what yeah. happens when we die. Yep. How do you answer that? Mm. Nobody frigging knows.
1: Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, that's the tricky thing, right? Well, you, you kind of have to know what you know first, right? I don't know anything. <laughs> yeah. Well, kind of that's where you have to start, Okay. right? Because that's – again, I keep talking about family culture, but that's your family culture. That's what your that's what you need to fall back on. Um, so so we always recommend you start with the concrete. Um, so talking about physical death first. Okay. Um, so that's where you go. Let's let's talk about what it means to be dead. Um, first. Uh, so th- and I you could say that to a child. Yeah. What does dead mean? Yeah. And they'll tell you. Now. It, if So that's the first thing. Start with the concrete, what you can and can't do when you're dead. Um, and they will come back to that lots of times. So don't think that kids don't understand because they go, and what's dead again? Or if you hear them playing, going, yes, and her heart stopped and her brain doesn't work anymore and she can't talk. That's all the kind of processing stuff that they do. But if you have a spiritual belief, then you layer that in. Um If you don't have a spiritual belief, then you go, I don't know. You do exactly what you just did then. Mm. I really don't know, but gee, have you got some ideas? Find out if your child has some ideas. Um, If you have, if you're connected to a church or um, for other people, the spiritual part is very much part of their family culture or religious part is part of their, their belief system. What I would say to that, however, is it is still important to to start with the concrete and the physical first with small children. Don't I've seen children who are massively anxious um, because they think dead is heaven, and 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 that's very confusing for young children because um, they think heaven is a place. Why can't I go there? Why can't I visit? my grandparents or who my dog or whoever. So then that's where kind of a, a bit of a cycle of confusion can happen with the questioning around what do I do, how do I explain. So start with the physical first and then talk about what you think happens next because we know what happens to the body and we can talk a lot about that, it being buried, burnt um, or whatever. Okay, so
0: the other question Arla would ask me, which was very hard to answer was, um, will you die, mummy? Or when will you die, mummy? Or what, you know, what happens if you, I mean, what happens if you die? I can answer. Yeah. But the problem I have with will you die, mummy, is again, I'm like, oh my God, I can't lie to him if I died. And then he'd be like, she lied. (laughs) There'd be two reasons to be upset. Um, but it was it's a very confronting question to be asked and yeah. know how to answer without scaring them.
1: Oh, I know. I know you just have I'm, to do I'm it. like the reverse <laughs> psychologist, aren't I? I know. You kinda do and and you kinda do because that's the truth. Um And there's no way around it.
0: But see, this thing, people sometimes say, yes, mummy will die, but it usually happens when you're a lot older. You can. And I'm like, but that's kind of lying too. I don't know. I could get sick. Yeah. I could get hit by a bus. So how do you do it without some, you know, distortion of the
1: truth? So I think what you've said and repeating it, and the other thing that I remember saying to my children is, and my children would still say it to me, um, not not like they did when they were little, because I think this question is connected to the anxiety of trying to make sense of this thing that happens to all living things. So what I said to my children often or what I remember is I don't plan on it. You know? Like I'm really healthy and, you know, um I don't have any illness that would that would make me die. Um I'm not planning on it. Yeah. So it at least gives them something to say to themselves. You know how kids repeat things? Um, But I think it is okay to also say um, most people don't die until they're much older. Mm. And then they say, what about Nana and Pop and Grandma? (laughs) And then you go, you know what? I know. It makes me really sad when I think about that too. I think about... My mum and dad dying too. And you just go there honestly and say, it's going to be so sad when that happens. Mm. And that's, you know. And then just that's deal with the, the sadness and
0: the emotion that comes up if it comes up. Yes. But you, what your point is, is that avoiding those sorts of conversations makes it worse for them.
1: In the long run, I think so, because you're missing out on a depth of conversation and curiosity and connection and love actually that you can do now that will help them in the future. This is like a basis, you know, for all the other losses they're going to have. You mentioned just
0: a question ago about the spiritual aspect and that the best way to explain to children is to talk about the physical first and then move on to the spiritual you mentioned that heaven is a difficult concept for kids. Do they understand it more once you've explained the
1: physical? Well, because that's a really good question. I think it's just a way of helping kids to try and separate what's happened to the body. And I think that can also, depending on your, your child, it also can be a question that you ask. So when your son said to you, where have they gone? Where have, you know, Well, you can actually talk about what you know. I know that his body is in the ground at the cemetery. Oh, well, how did it get there? Well, we had a funeral and there was a box called a coffin and he got placed in the coffin. When you're dead, you get put in a coffin and then buried in the ground. Um, and then the earth gets placed over you. Remember the cemetery we went to, Bloody bloody you know, so you, so you could see and you, could, you might have to answer that question. Or even respond to that, and talk about that many times, um, but you that's what you know, you absolutely know that, so you can keep talking about that. you don't have to make mm. anything up, you can be absolutely certain in those facts. so go to the facts first, because I think one
0: of the things uh, that parents will say is uh, they've gone to heaven, they're a star in the sky, yeah, they're those sorts of things,
1: yeah uh. Is it best to avoid all of those? No, look, I can understand. I think when we're doing that, what we want is to say we're still connected to that person. We still love them. They're still part of our family. So that's the important aspect of that. I think having a place like a star in the sky or or, or whatever can be a way to um, make that more real for children. What I would, again, still do is just make, just just separate out the spirit or the soul or whatever you think or whatever you believe is in that star um, or that symbol or whatever um, to say that's Nan's spirit. When we look at that star, we think about her spirit and it connects us to her and we love that. But there are lots of other ways you could do that too. People do that in lots of different other ways, but... Um, just i would encourage people to be more thoughtful about it i guess with very young children to bring bring it again into the concrete and and the more kind of spiritual more concrete less spiritual just to summarize if you had to give a parent any
0: tips about talking about death with children What would you say, because it makes us all feel so uncomfortable, but what would you say to parents who are kind of
1: grappling with that idea? Well, I think you have to ride the discomfort a bit and you have to be prepared to say, I don't know. And, wow, I know it's really, yeah, it makes me feel sad too. And you have to really kind of own your emotions, I think, in it as well. Um, That would be my advice. Um, I would also say if you've been through a significant bereavement, to not be surprised if your children seem worse when you seem to be getting better. And that's a really common pattern. And that happens often because you are now more available and your kids go, hang on. Oh, mum seems to be crying less. Now's the time to talk about death. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And again, recognizing that and knowing that really helps because sometimes you're feeling better and you go, Oh my God, my kids are a mess because of what I went through and what I put them through. No, it's not that it's, it's actually the ebb and flow of grief in children. It, it acts differently to our ebb and flow. So know that and kind of, um, ride that through as well. Um, be concrete, <laughs> Absolutely bring in your spiritual and, and bring in what's important to you. Remember your values as a family and just keep bringing those back to the experience of death and grief. Um, trust, uh, you've talked about trust a few times. You've talked about fear a few times. Whatever you're doing to comfort and support children already in your family despite a death or a grief but just generally, keep doing that. Um, trust yourself as a parent. Um, Most people, most parents, I think, like we've talked about, struggle with that idea of, oh, I I can't, I couldn't possibly. But there's a part of them going, I probably should. Mm. Oh, if only, yeah. So so do use resources that are around and reach out to other parents because when a death occurs, um, it can be really hard to think of oh, I need a support person to help me with my three-year-old daughter. I'd really love her to come, but I don't know what to do. Um, You you literally could be the support person for someone in your community um, because you know that child and you could be there for them while your friend does her grieving and does the work that she needs to do as a a wife or a mother or a daughter or whoever um, that relationship is that she's grieving. So much to talk about. Um, Where can
0: people go to find out more about your organisation, Kerry?
1: Yeah, they can go to thegroundswellproject.com to
0: read about some of our work. Brilliant. There's so much there, not just with the talk about kids. I think adults have a lot lot of work to do. Oh, yeah. Well, this adult does. (laughs) Kerry, thanks for your time. Thank you. That's Kerry Noonan. She's a clinical psychologist and the director of the Ground Swell Project. If you'd like more information on their work, we will pop links up on our website. That's babyology.com.au forward slash love. Having a new baby can be overwhelming, but mindfulness coach Amy taylor Cabaz has got your back
1: you know, making sure that you do go back to bed every morning so you might not be able to change what's happening overnight. Even though there's some really gentle, beautiful things you can do, I feel like it's about taking a little bit of the power back and saying my sleep and my health is
0: just as important here. Hear Amy talk about the ways you can thrive in the first months after bringing a new baby home. That's on the next episode of Feed, Play, Love. This podcast is produced by Elise Cooper and hosted by me, Siobhan Hunt.